Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 168 of A Play on Nerds. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jarman. And I'm the other co-host, Steve, and we're going to co-host the hell out of this. That's right. And this week we're going to be honoring the upcoming release of the new Dungeons & Dragons reboot movie, Honor Among Thieves. And to do so, we're going to go back and watch the OG Dungeons & Dragons movie from the year 2000. (laughs) The year 2000. (laughs) Uh, Before we get to that, do we have any feedback? We actually do. So we have, uh, this kind of will transition into nerdy news eventually as well, but an old friend of the show, a former guest and longtime listener, Dr. Ian Cohen. I'm so glad I could call him that because I knew him in college when we partied together. Uh, and I'm still an idiot, but he turned into a real life rocket scientist who is now over at the Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory. And he tweeted us over this news story and said, does this qualify as nerdy news? And I say yes. So before we get to the real nerdy news segment, this is a superseding that because a cool guy sent us this text and it's he's actually part of this story. So uh, the story he sent over is that two of Uranus, I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson call it Uranus instead of Uranus. So I don't know what you're just because they want people to stop giggling. <laughs> exactly. Two of Uranus's moons uh, may harbor active oceans, according to radiation data. Uh, So in a new study led by the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, or the APL, in Laurel, Maryland, researchers reanalyzed nearly 40-year-old energetic particle and magnetic field data taken by NASA's Voyager 2 spacecraft. And the reason it's 40 years old is because that's the only spacecraft to go to so far to have gone to Uranus. Uranus? Uranus? Um, And there were recently – the results uh, were recently accepted for publication in the Journal of Geophysical Research Letters – Suggests that two of Uranus's 27 moons, they have 27 moons, uh, Ariel and or Miranda, they're not sure which one yet, are adding plasma into the space environment through an unknown and mysterious mechanism. And one tantalizing explanation is that one or both moons have oceans beneath their icy surfaces and are actively spewing material, possibly through plumes. And we have a quote here from the mm. Dr. Cohen himself. He says, it isn't uncommon that energetic particle measurements are a forerunner to discovering an ocean world, which sounds really cool. He continues, the data are consistent with the very exciting potential of there being an active ocean moon there. He says, we can always do more comprehensive modeling, but until we have new data, the conclusion will always be limited. So he basically, they're advocating we need to have more trips, more things, more probes, more vehicles going to Uranus and getting you know, much better data than a 40-year-old um, spacecraft could do. So that's pretty cool. We could have life on these little moons of Miranda and Ariel uh, over there in Uranus. What do you think, Steve? But my my main question is, will Kevin Costner be there on the water world? <laughs> no, Bruce Willis, though. Will be, yeah, he'll, Bruce Willis will get yeah. Kevin Costner there, and then once Kevin Costner's there with Gills, he'll take <laughs> over the place. <laughs> Bruce Willis is just going to blow the place up. That's that's right. we got to blow it I up. I don't want to close my, my eyes. eyes. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, thanks, to Ian, for that. But that takes us to the official Nerdy News well, segment. So, oh, sorry. I'm so well, sorry. No, I was going to skip everything. Our weekly update. I'm like, so, we, I, I just realized we I skipped it. You know why? Because we're so not used to having feedback anymore these days that we just totally skipped That's it. That's true. Nobody writes us, so it totally <laughs> threw us off. So, Jaron, what have you been up to? Oh, well, these past few, a couple of weeks, I've only been up to rehearsals for a play that I'm in, um, the community theater here. Um, really, just really sweet and cute play called Gra or Gra. And it's basically an Irish word for love. That's a story about, I might have talked about the podcast before briefly, but basically uh, it, an Irish folktale that kind of originates the story of mermaids along with sirens of old lore. But basically, if someone dies at sea, they can find their spirit goes into a seal and that seal then can become a human form again, but it can't speak and it always yearns to return to the sea. So it's kind of a bittersweet thing because eventually they might return to the sea and so you might lose them again. But this man that I'm playing believes that his long lost wife has come back in the form of a seal or that she will one day, uh, form of a selkie is what they're called, a selkie. And there's a lot of dance in the production because the selkie person who comes back, she doesn't, she can't speak. So she dances to express herself um, with her emotions and kind of mimes for what she's thinking. And it takes place in the 1910s, 1920s in Ireland. And so we all have Irish accents. And uh, it's it's been a lot of work because that accent's hard. I'm not doing the best. But there's people in my cast who are doing a lot better than I am. And there's two uh, adorable little girls that play my daughter. Uh, they're in sixth grade and they're really cute. And uh, they uh, switch out for different performances. and But I'm never going to do this again because until my job gets a lot easier and I don't have to work as much because I'm working like crazy. And then I have to do learn lines and go to rehearsals. And it's a lot. I'm like, why did I do this myself again? <laughs> but it was, it's was it been it's been fun. So it'll be over after these next two weekends. It'll be finished. Um, but I'm not nearly as stressed as this gentleman because, Steve, what's been going on in your life? <laughs> Uh, so something I hadn't been able to mention on the podcast previously because work didn't know yet, and I just one of those things where I just, I can't couldn't let the cat out of the bag yet uh, is we are moving from San Jose, California to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turns out, parents only get older. Oh, weird! Did you know that? Oh, strange. Yeah. Um, and mine are no different. And each time we see them, it's it's sort of these big time jumps. And this last one just kind of got me like, man, they're getting old. We got to – if we're going to spend real time with them, we got to do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I got a job. I'm still with Apple. I'm going back to the retail sector. I'm going to be an HR person. Steve is HR. It's pretty it's very amazing. Exciting. <laughs> yeah, as an in-store HR person. Um, they really were very generous with the offer, went above and beyond – um, which was very gracious of them, and we were buying a house. Yeah, it's exciting. In theory, it's as stressful. Of right as hell. now, we are in final final approval at the bank. Yeah. Um, but we've been getting rid of everything. We might have some interrupts in the podcast. I'm going to try not, but we might. Um, they're hauling junk. We've been shipping boxes. Like we're. And by the time the audience hears this, and, you'll be in Pittsburgh. I'll be in Pittsburgh by the time the audience hears this. That's yeah, absolutely right. That's true. Which is also um, weird because now Steve yeah. will be in the same time zone as me because I've always been recording from that's Florida. Right. He's been recording from California. And we always had to record kind of late for me and a little bit early for him maybe. And now maybe we can meet in the middle somewhere. We'll figure it out. But the shows will keep coming. It's just that he has to get set up in a, a new studio and everything. Yeah, we're not leaving you guys. We just got to – yeah. I've got a – so I've got a coal cellar that I'm planning on converting into like a little recording 
kind of area. Which sounds pretty cool. Very excited. <laughs> it's like underground under the house. Like there should be no, like nothing but absorption down there. Nice. Um, there are some pipes running through it. So I need to figure out what those go to. So like, oh, I'd like don't run this sink. Don't flush the toilet. While I'm recording. <laughs> Ever. We're saving energy. But if you can, you talk about how you're, you got things picked up like your cats and your, your, your car and all that jazz. It's so oh man. <laughs> so you can, so you can ship cats. There's a website called citizen shipper. This wasn't my radical recommend, but now it kind of is. And it's like, do you want to move a car? Do you want to move a pallet? Do you want to move a pet? And I put in, it's like, how many pets? Two cats. Where to? Where from? How big are the cats? Um, and then I hit submit. And within 12 hours, I had 20 or 30 offers and bids. Dang. So I picked someone who was like certified, had some good reviews, was kind of in the middle from a price point point of view. There are some people that bid so low that I was like, my cats are definitely going to die. Huh? <laughs> I don't trust this bid. <laughs> um, so right now my cats are with a nice gentleman named Steve somewhere in the Midwest. Hey, same name. Uh, driving across the country and they get dropped off in Pittsburgh either tomorrow night or Saturday morning. Wow. <laughs> my brother is going to receive them and go take them to my parents' place. <laughs> it's so weird. It's yeah, it's an odd one, certainly. Um, and then the car, our car gets picked up on Monday. I've got to go get a rental. Uh, and then that will get out there a day, the day we get there, maybe the day after. So we'll have a vehicle. And this will be interesting for our UK listeners who have a small country size wise, whereas Canadian listeners might know what we're talking about, but basically opposite end of the country so this is like thousands of miles thousands and thousands of yeah, kilometers like, <laughs> like it's like 2800 or 2900 miles like <laughs> it's ridiculous opposite end of the country <laughs> oh, so um, big change yeah. so big exciting things big change schedule is going to change i'm really i'm mentally wrestling with like oh, i'm going back to retail somehow in a bit in um, a way yeah but then i've got to remember yeah, well, not in a bit. I am. I'm going to go yeah. and be the HR person at a store. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's like, it's what needs to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah, know, just, in you 10 know, years, I'm not going to regret spending more time with my folks. Yeah. And the same thing here. Like I moved out back from Atlanta to Orlando partially because my dad was getting older because he was a much older dude. And he was getting, he had Parkinson's and I wanted to be home to take care of him at all. But also, you know, a change of pace. And I was not in the best frame of mind, so it's good to be near family. And whereas you and Anna, I'm sure, are in a good frame of mind, but you get to have your kids near their family, and you have so many cousins there, and it'll be a big, like, kind of warm blanket of family there around you. Whereas in California, you're so kind of removed from that, except for, you know, Anna's mom being somewhat close by. And Anna's mom. And then we did get to see, we went up to Anna's mom's place last weekend, and we saw her brothers and had a decently nice goodbye. That's good. Anna's mom is not taking it the best because uh, Anna's second oldest brother is moving to Kentucky in June, <laughs> and and she he's the one that lives the closest to her, oh. and also has three kids. So all of a sudden, like over half her grandkids are moving away in like the course of a month. And really, she's um, just gonna go party now. She's gonna live it up. <laughs> no, probably uh, not. Right now, the theory is that. Uh, Anna's brother and his wife up in Roseville near Sacramento uh, have a second house. Mm. That they've been running out for years. Um, 
and they've they've I think offered it to Anna's mom. Oh, that's so I think good. she's going to move up closer to them, which is good. Yeah, she'll have some family left, <laughs> not too far. Um, but yeah, big changes, big big changes, and now we just got to survive a move. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, man. I see something here about an in-person D&D session. Oh, yeah. And so I wasn't able to tell people for a long time because of work reasons. Um, and so I finally was able to tell my D&D groups, both the one I'm in and the one I host, like the one I DM for, um, which was really nice. And I was like, look, we have one more session. Can we do an in-person? And so oh, I'm going to yeah. go and have my first in-person D&D session in like three years, three and a half years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Uh, we're going to get pizza and, and have some drinks and play play a, a good final session before I leave the state. And just think, you move to Pittsburgh, you got a new group of D&D players, and you can have pizza and drinks every time you play D&D with them <laughs> in person, every time. Maybe. I might. So I might try to host a game that has at least one or two of my current players. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I do, I like, I like nearly half of my current players <laughs> and I am really actually remiss cause you know, they're honestly through the pandemic D and D and tabletop and remote stuff has been my outlet. And so like, you know, we've become good friends, like for real. Absolutely. With a few of them. That's relevant to this episode because we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons this whole episode. Basically. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> it's like a real thing. It is. It, really it brings is. people together. It keeps our friendships alive in my friend groups. Like it's what the center of our friendship is around our D&D meetups. And so we break off from there to sometimes do other things like watch movies or go to parties or go to dinner together, um, hang out with their kids, their kids' birthday parties. But the center of it all is D&D. It brings us together, you know. That see, we just play more different games. That's pretty much what D and D is. Yeah, but through D and D, I discovered Dungeon World and ICRPG and Honey Heist <laughs> and Lasers and Feelings and Call of Cthulhu and there's so many, so many, and that's that's just five of the millions. <laughs> Absolutely, um, but yeah. But I guess that takes us now into some nerdy news. Now it does. It's time for nerdy news. All right. This week, my cheeky title for my story is everything is a buzz at the disco. Ooh. Uh, well, humans can speak. But what about bees? <laughs> Well, they have to listen to their body talk. Bees wiggle, wobble, and dance to convey which way, how far, and how much food, water, and resources are from their hive. How it works is uh, one bee finds something, comes back to the hive, hits the dance floor. Others bees join in its dance in which it, they learn the moves that they, they interpret and head out the door to whatever that's being reported. But scientists are trying to figure out how do bees know these moves to begin with? Well, scientists took two hives, a control hive that was a standard hive in that it had a mix of older bees, younger bees. Um, and as you would expect in a beehive, the older bees taught the younger bees this dance. They had, uh, they were able to forage more food faster with less errors in communication. Meanwhile, they took a second hive, the experiment hive, and filled it with only young bees. Mm. So no senior bees. Uh, and they wobbled and flailed on the dance floor and they had a ton of communication errors uh, and it was very, very noticeable. 
But then these bees were all tested again at a later time, and the scientists found that the new bees <laughs> uh, had caught up, now holding similar levels of dance errors to their more experienced and traditional uh, brethren on the dance floor. Hmm. So these scientists are now theorizing that bees somehow are born with a genetic level of knowledge about this dance and how to interpret it. Hmm. So even young bees that have never been exposed to it somehow can figure it out. But at the end of the day, everyone does better with someone to show them a few moves. <laughs> That's and that true. is everything's a buzz at the disco. And I have heard some, some things of stories of DNA possibly retaining memories to the next generation. You know, that's it's fascinating, but who knows? Yeah, it it's not possible. sci-fi anymore, my friend. Absolutely not. All right. Well, that brings us to our main segment, which is talking about some wonderful Dungeons and Dragons from the year 2000. The year 2000. <laughs> if people don't know, that's from old Conan O'Brien from back in the day. Really old Conan O'Brien. Because they talk about what was going to happen in the future, the year 2000, and then the year 2000 passed, and they still did that segment. And they just kept talking about the year 2000. Like <laughs> in it was the year the 2000, we will have flying cars. Yeah, it was already 2004. It was, it was hilarious. Anyway, so D&D. So we yeah we reviewed the 2000 classic Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, well, here's just a, just a quick rundown. Profian is a Profion Profian as a crooked politician wizard who is seeking to usurp Savina, the young princess of her power. And to do this, he needs the means to control red dragons. Mm. Enter Ripley and Snails, two common thieves who break into a wizard's tower, but end up wrapped up in a young female wizard named Arena's. Uh, who a uh, problem who was given knowledge of an ancient artifact that would allow Profian to complete his goal of controlling the red dragons. <gasps> While on the run from uh, Damodar, who is Profian's main thug, they pick up a surly dwarf named Elwood Gutworthy and an elf hundreds named Norda. The group discovers the, that the relic, the eye of the dragon is being hidden by a prominent thieves guild. And they make their way to the leader Xylus, who informs them that the prize they seek is at the center of the guild's mage. Ripley bumbles his way through earning the prize, but he's backstabbed go figure uh, by the head of the thieves guild, because even Xylus was unable to get at the dragon's eye because it was so well protected by the mage. Uh, shortly after the backstab, Damador and his thug show up. A brawl ensues between them and the, the Thieves' Guild. Uh, Marina is captured along with the map containing the location of the Rod of Several that they need. The group has to work together to free her from some ruins. Uh, Snails and Ripley make the classic mistake of splitting the party. And <laughs> Snails is killed by Damodar. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, now, with what he needs, Profian makes his move uh, after a magic battle ensues in which the princess seems to have the upper hand. He opens a portal, calling forth the red dragons, harnessing them against the empress and her gold dragons. Uh, spells are flying. Ripley and the gang like, storm Pro Protean's tower. I guess Ripley doesn't storm, but he like portals in. Right. Uh, he kills Damador. Uh and uh, is ends up getting the relic back from Profion before he can complete his evil deed. Ripley resists the temptation to use the rod 
and he destroys it, just in time for Profion to be eaten by a dragon. Uh, we cut to a little time later. Ripley is being honored as a hero of the realm and is about to be knighted, but the group gathers somberly at Snail's grave. Uh, Ripley leaves the gem on his grave, but then the group is kind of magically transported, and it's implied that maybe Snail's isn't dead. <laughs> yep, I think. The, the, the end. The end. <laughs> um, so... I think well, you've seen this movie before, right? Long time ago. I think when it came out, I think I was like 14. Yeah, I, I want to say I want to say you and I maybe went and saw this. I think we There's did. There's a fair possibility we went and saw this. <laughs> um, so in some ways, this movie was not as bad as I kind of remembered it being. Same here, actually. But in some ways, it was worse. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so like. So some things I liked, um, really a better cast than this movie deserved. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really trying to sell the crap out of this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing I really liked is now that I've played some D and D I'm getting way more out of it. That's probably true. From when because we were they're kids. literally doing fan service and showing tropes that, I now understand, but I didn't at the time, like the very dwarfy dwarf um, when they're just suddenly magically transported to a different place and come back with an exposition dump from a scene that we didn't see <laughs> uh, the head of the thieves guild betraying them after they do a job for the head of the thieves guild. <laughs> like all these things felt really dumb at the time, but now there's such a part of like D and D structure that I'm just, I'm like, Oh look, they split the party and one of them died. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah, that's true. There's that understanding. Um, And then even classic tropes, like the secondary villain who doesn't really have a choice about working for the big bad evil guy. So they're a little bit redeemable. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the thieves guild maze was on point. In that each puzzle had two solutions, and one was either like a really high DC saving throw, uh, or they had to figure it out with their brain. Mm. And that felt very Dungeons and Dragony. That's true. I didn't think about that. Because, uh, like in the last one, like he does the puzzle, he figures it out, but then at the end, he has to run and jump. And I'm like, make a deck save. Yeah. <laughs> in my Because he didn't solve it properly. Uh, and then, like, another bright point is, that there, on top of Jeremy Irons, there was another actor who I was watching, and I was like, man, he's in, like, a better movie than this. Oh, my gosh, the same thing. He's in a um, better he movie. <laughs> the elder Elvin Healer, um, and he was just in a much better, more serious film. And I looked him up, and it's Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor. Yep. Of Doctor Who fame. And I was like, oh, that's why he just is so much more gravitas. Not only that, he is still alive and acting. Oh, yeah. He was in a not He's too eighty seven or eighty eight. He was in episode of Doctor Who not too long ago, um, just like playing some random um, museum curator, winking at the camera, kind of like, oh wait, is that that's the Doctor? Like, is he still a Doctor? But um, yeah, like he is not even on the IMDb page for this movie. 
So I, I saw like a trivia fact about Tom Baker being in this before I finished the movie. And I was like, he's in this movie. So I went to IMDb and he was nowhere listed on there at all as an actor in this movie. He's just in it uncredited, which is really maybe he has to take his name off of it because he was just like, no, I'm not in this. <laughs> Please take me off of that field. But he was fantastic in his little short role. Yeah. Little short role. Um, some things that were rough. Um, uh, the opening exposition was so incredibly truncated the heavy use of voiceover and them having to like explain everything instead of just showing us stuff. Right. And I am, and even this thing I kind of disliked even had some of its own charm in that, um, like something bad, the bad guy does causes a situation in which we are introduced to the leads. And that's like very opening adventure. That's true. For Dungeons and Dragons. You all just saw the river catch fire. You're all staying in the bridge together. What do you do? Right. Um, and then the after then some pacing issues, this was kind of fun and light and fast. And then after snails died, they really tried to shift the tone more serious and it was too much too late. Yeah, that was my thing. The whole the worst probably part of this movie is they did never pick a tone. They never picked a, a lane. No, they never picked an audience. Like, I don't know who they were trying to advertise this for or make this movie for. Because it plays almost like for children at times, and then they make pretty strong sex jokes other times, and it's like, and then there's like urban humor from you know the Wayne's brother guy. <laughs> it's like, and then, where are we going for here? Where who are you tuning this well, to? I, <laughs> I think they didn't know, and the reason I say that is this came out in 2000, and the other thing to come out in 2000 was Dungeons and Dragons Third Edition. Mm-hmm. So we have a major edition update the same year. I think that they're like just trying to appeal to some new genre of people for their new system. And they didn't know who the fuck that was. Like a wide, like, oh, let's just go for a wide swath because we have no clue. <laughs> right. Cast <laughs> yeah. the net so wide that it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, that was definitely a big problem was just the tone, not knowing where they're going, what the audience was. It would have been a lot better because I don't, the character types they picked were good. Um each character had their own, you know, quirks and their own abilities. They could have played that up more. Like the mage woman barely used any mage like abilities, and she apparently needed to have some dust to do it. Um, and so she was but kind in of some useless. ways that was kind of. But even that felt very D and D because that was like, why can't she cast? And then she found it. And I was like, oh, she found her component. She's the components. Yeah, she yeah. needed she needed material components for her casting. Well, even at the end when he puts the <laughs> the gem on the grave. And something starts happening with magic. I'm like, oh, you need a 5,000 gold piece worth ruby to do a true resurrection. Okay, I see. <laughs> but then, right, but then right. nothing you happened. They a get, diamond worth 300 gold. Yeah. <laughs> they get transported somewhere. And what the fuck happened? I have no idea. Um, but Jeremy um, Irons, we have to say, is the lead uh, uh, villain here, Profion. And he, I, I do like what he did with the character, even though it was kind of, of course, cheesy and over the top. But he did have distinct dual personalities. Like when he was in private with his minions, he was like, I'm going to growl like this and be so angry. And then when he got to the the the, uh, the council chamber, he's like, oh, hello, I'm Jeremy Irons. And it was much more pleasant and pleasing. He really did that distinctly. And I really like that, that he was, it's kind of like the emperor in Star Wars being the, the gross emperor. And then he goes out in public and he's like, oh, hello. So I, I thought that was really well done, despite him just doing this for a paycheck. That was pretty impressive. I think on the other side of that spectrum, though, was those were the times that we had to watch him act with Thora Birch. Mm. And I don't know if she was 
like, I don't know. She didn't give anything to this role. No. Every one of her lines was said with like, I can tell she was trying to be regal. Like that is what she was trying. This is how a queen would speak, but it made everything mean nothing. I think she, the director so and her flat. had just saw Queen Amidala in the in the first prequel movie, and were like, "Oh, do that," and then that's what she tried to emulate, and it was yeah. bad. <laughs> but then you put her against Jeremy Irons, who's like at at his most insane <laughs> yes acting level wise in this film, and it was such a bad contrast. It was it was terrible. That is true. She didn't. They. I really thought they were going to have the Thor Birch character, the, the Empress, be the the the. They should have had her be the character that goes with them on the quest instead of that other meaningless mage. Yes. Like she should have been training with the mage because she's also a magician herself or a mage herself and training with the old mage, training the empress to be learning magic. And then that all should have happened to her. There should have been two characters there. That made no sense. So anyway, that's where I thought that's why her character. Well, I think the reason that it had to make no mind you, even that would have been good, though, because then, you know, because they had to push there had to be a love story in there. Yeah, but that would have worked just as well between like the popper thief exactly and the princess. Like, it's that's the Aladdin, Aladdin story. It's, it's Jasmine Aladdin exactly. Um, um I thought Marlon Wayans yeah, was pretty darn annoying in most parts of it, but he probably was directed to be like that. Um, it was just a lot. I was fine with him when it was just him. As soon as they added the dwarf, and they were both constantly competing to be the comic relief. <laughs> yeah. That was when I was like, nope, I can't do Marlon Wayans anymore. <laughs> and that that actor um, first but, plays a dwarf but when here. It was just him. It was okay. Yeah, I could kind of see that. And then like just the super white dude mugging at him, like with his little like dimply smile. I'm like, this is just so cheesy. It's like their their chemistry just did not work for me. The two of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the dwarf guy. He's eventually you'll, you'll probably recognize him more from. Um, the Pirates of the Caribbean series. He plays one of the pirates that's always there. And then he also played a dwarf on Once Upon a Time, the TV show for one of the seven dwarves. So, yeah, he was, he has a lot of dwarf work. <laughs> also, um, I had to ask you, Steve, yeah. there was a line from um, the Domador guy, whatever the hell his name is. Um, mm. And he says, be prepared for a lesson in pain. That's sampled somewhere that we've heard a lot. Where is that from? Do you know that that exact sound? As soon as he said that, I'm like, I've heard that a hundred times and I don't know where. Anyways, I don't know. I thought that was weird. Also, having beholders there was fun. I thought another good callback to the game. They look just like the illustrations, which except in a really bad CGI. So that was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was real weird. And for them to throw them in. So late, I was like, why the hell is there a beholder there? Yeah, right. just randomly. They didn't get to do much at all either. Um but also the music was actually quite good throughout. There wasn't really good through line um, things for me to remember. Like I don't remember a specific tune, which is bad, but the music I was hearing throughout was well orchestrated. It was real music, not MIDI music or something. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, overall, I, I just thought it was a lot of it was pretty bad, super cheesy. Uh, I didn't think there was enough references to the games, but now hearing Steve talk about it, cause he's much you know better DM and stuff. <laughs> There were a lot of thematic Maybe not references, specific references, yeah. but thematic. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So like you're right. There were a lot of those, but I wish there was more specific stuff. Um, and I'm, I like that the reboot is now getting really good reviews. That's not out yet. And it uh, references this. It actually references this film. It is getting surprisingly good reviews. Yeah. And, and they say honor among thieves so many times in this movie that we just watched. And that's the title of the new movie. Like 
Dungeons and Dragons Honor Amongst Thieves. That's pretty cool. Well, I can't let our audience go away without having a little trivia for them to chew on. Oh, yeah. A few of my favorites. Uh, Jeremy Iron took this job because he had just bought a castle and needed to pay for it. <laughs> of course. Uh, the thief Lord Zylus, uh, Zillus, Zylus, was played by Richard O'Brien, and he looked really familiar. You can figure it out until I looked it up, and he played Riff Raff, or the handyman, in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hell yeah, and he helped write it, too. Uh, and then Zoe McClella, who played the young wizard Marina Pretenso, uh, was on two episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. She played Tal Selis on season six episodes Good Shepherd and The Haunting of Deck 12, which she played a Bajoran officer. That's pretty cool. But, yeah. And I got some other trivia Trek here. Uh, we got so director Courtney Solomon. This was his first film. It was a male Courtney. Um, he acquired the exclusive rights for this film from TSR, which was uh, Tactical Studies Rules, before it was purchased by Wizards of the Coast and then Hasbro, I believe now, um, back in mm-hmm. uh, 1990 when he was 19. So he bought the rights to make a film for D&D when he was 19 years old in 1990. <laughs> um, but it took 10 years for him to raise the funds to make the film. So he was 29 when he made this film and he only intended to pr- produce the film originally. However, the head of TSR, uh, Lorraine Williams, she vetoed every one of his choices for director. One of which was Francis, Francis for Coppola was considering direct this film. So it forced Solomon to eventually direct the film himself. Since he held the rights, he had the right to choose eventually, but they were able to veto what he wanted to do, but they couldn't veto him because he owned the rights. <laughs> so that's why he wasn't, it was a pretty new director. He hadn't really done much before. Because he just owned the rights of this since he was 19. Um, another weird thing, there's bones that are visible in Profian's lair, and they're real. Because these scenes were filmed in this ossuary, a small chapel in the Czech Republic. And it's decorated with the bones of people who were buried in the surrounding cemetery, but had to be moved to make room for the chapel and for new burials. That's pretty gross. So those are real bones in the movie. Uh, the trailer for this film, for some reason, listed none of the cast, not even Jeremy Irons. So bad advertising right off the bat. And what's a pretty interesting, Richard O'Brien that Steve was talking about, who played Riff Raff, he was very popular at the time that this movie came out for hosting a show called The Crystal Maze, an adventure game show kind of thing. And so it was very, he actually was kind of parroting himself by running this maze that he did in the movie because it was everyone in the UK would have gotten the joke. They're like, oh, he, he's the Crystal Maze host. Um, Another ending was shot where Empress Savina destroys her rod that controls the gold dragons, and she proclaims the heroes champions of the throne. Uh, But according to the director, uh, this was such a bad idea that he didn't even put it on the DVD. So it exists somewhere, but he said that the ending was so bad, he's like, "Uh, no one's going to see that. (laughs) So that happened. And that's D&D, folks. That's how it works. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons, in some ways better, but in many ways worse than I remember. Yeah, it's Check it's, it it's somehow still fun, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our bit today, we're going to play a little game called Abracadabra What? And so basically, what? What? Now? <laughs> what? Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, I'm going to give Steve an actual spell from D&D. But it could be from first edition, second edition, third edition. Oh, shit. And you have to tell me. I might do okay on some of these. (laughs) These are weird spells. I tried to find the weirdest ones I could find. And they're real spells that are in actual books, not like 
unearth arcana or like just just one D magazine like these are ones that were in books but there was a lot of books in second and third edition that just kept coming out so there were some weird ones and so for two points one point if you can actually tell me what the spell actually does okay and if you get that point you then get to tack on a second point if you can give me a great situation where you would use that spell all right all right all right you okay good? <laughs> But right. you only get the part do two. Do I get to if, give you that situation even if I get it wrong? I think you can do, you can do that, too. If I get too. all these wrong, there's... For a, no, okay. for a half point. If you get if you get it wrong, give okay. me a good situation to use the actual use for I'll make it. you a deal. I'll take a quarter point. A quarter point. All right. Even a better. quarter point. You bargained yourself <laughs> down. <laughs> 50% off, baby. Let's do it. Africa, what? All right. So this one's called Basket Trick. What does the spell basket trick do? Uh, you conjure a magical basket and can pull mundane items from it. Ooh, that is a good guess, but not what basket trick does. This is from back Shit. in second edition. Uh, so this is also, I need to mention, this is from, a lot of these are from, not all of them, from Gizmodo, Rob Brickett, who I've followed for a long time on, on Gizmodo. He did a lot of the funny commentary on these spells. This is real spells. Uh, he says, in D&D, there's a reasonably useful skill called Blink, which we know about, which allows wizards to basically yep. pop briefly over to the astral plane, gives them a chance to move around, effectively teleporting a short distance and confusing or escaping foes. Basket trick is Blink, except you don't get to choose where you move, but instead pop back into the physical plane in a random nearby basket. <laughs> Not only is this a specific a basket specific teleport spell, you don't even get to pick the basket. <laughs> so now, right. Steve, for a quarter point, where would you use? I feel this? like there was like one very specific setting, yeah, where that was very oh, okay. Uh, you you're you're cornered in a market in a big bustling metropolis town. You pissed off the wrong gangsters. You've already had the first encounter. This is the follow up encounter where they send the big thugs at you. The rest of the party escapes, but you get cornered. What's going to save your life? Boom, basket trick, baby. <laughs> I'm picturing like the Indiana Jones kind of market, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Marianne pops out of a of like a woven basket somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> All right, that's good. By the you get a quarter point for that. All right. Okay. Here's the next quarter one. Quarter point, baby. We have Snillox Snowball. Uh, Snillox Snowball. I'm going to guess it is a conjured snowball that you can use against an enemy that causes it to be slowed. Um, you're actually close enough. I'll give you the point. Um, the only thing you missed yeah, was that baby. it doesn't do anything else but be a snowball. It's just a snowball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you can, yeah, you can conjure it whenever you want. It's basically a very embarrassing version of magic missile, but uh, you get a full point for that one. Uh, and so it we'll doesn't do any damage. It does as much damage as like I think like a one d four, I think it's basically what it said. Sweet, but yeah, it's like, like an a, improvised weapon. Okay. Yeah, and like if if they do have cold, uh, uh, you know, what do you got? Not immunities, the opposite of immunity. Um, vulnerability. Vulnerability. Then it would do a little bit more damage, I suppose. But yeah, it's just a regular old snowball that does one d four damage. <laughs> so what's your situation to use that in? What situation to use that in? All right, so you're in like the hot desert. You've been tracking this cult to this ancient temple half buried in the sand. <laughs> it's so incredibly hot. You need to cause a distraction. 
what do you do? You break out whatever the hell snowball. You throw it, hitting the snake person cultist in the shoulder, and it's so hot that it evaporates. Ah. Uh. Where they know it's happening, so they turn ah. around, and then it's like, "What hit me?" And there's just little wisps of smoke, <laughs> of steam. I like it. One full point. All right, so now we have yes. grim revenge. Okay. Grim revenge. I'm going to say that you have to die. And if you die, the person who killed you, if they're still under the effects of the spell, takes some heinous amount of damage. I really like that explanation, but that is not it. <laughs> Damn. So this one is the hand of the subject tears itself away from one of his arms, leaving a bloody stump. This trauma deals 66 points of damage. Then the hand, animated and floating in the air, begins to attack the subject. The hand attacks as if it were a white in terms of its statistics, special attacks and special qualities, except that it is considered tiny and gains a plus four bonus to AC, a plus four bonus on attack rolls, and the hand can be turned or rebuked as if it was a white. If the hand is defeated, only a regenerate spell can restore the victim to normal. Wow. And you know what? For sake of time, Brutal. I'm going to go ahead and give you another point because we, we're going to keep going because there's a lot of situations that would be useful. So we're going to move on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just rip off someone's hand and make it fight a bunch of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And kill them. Kill the, kill the person that you ripped it off of. All right. So this one. Uh, spend a large chaser. I don't know. You mark a target. And as long as you're in pursuit of them, your movement speed is doubled while the spell's effects last. That's very creative and probably would work really well, but no. Uh, it's a spell that no. mainly cured hangovers and drug withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> oh, a chaser. Yeah. Okay. So what's be a good situation right. for the spell? I see what you're doing. All right. When would you use this spell, Steve? When would I use that spell? I mean, when do you not rabble rouse in the game? Like, that's part of the thing is after an adventure, going back, throwing a party in hopes that someone interesting shows up and gives you a bit of information. That's true. And if you have to do that enough, you're just going to need that chaser. Get your electrolytes back up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We got one here. Uh, Ship of Fools. Ship of Fools? Mm -hmm. <laughs> fucking starship reference all right so this is some spell jammer bullshit not necessarily um, <laughs> a ship of fools it creates a ghost ship of illusions <laughs> so like a big big minor illusion uh like a no silent image but a pirate ghost ship <laughs> that's a good one though but it's it's similar to the confusion spell but only for sailors. So basically it makes an entire crew basically forget how to sail all at once. <laughs> wow, dude. It's very specific. Right. <laughs> so, I already know. So you're making, this is like, you know, you're basically in Pirates of the Caribbean. You and like two other people have just stolen a big ship. You're in no way qualified to run. And the other, the enemy forces an opposing suit. Your mage turns around and casts this spell, and suddenly they're like playing jump rope on deck. <laughs> and one of them's on that big wheel, spinning around, real excited. <laughs> I love it. As you make your getaway. <laughs> All right, this one is. Uh, it's actually a little more popular, apparently, to my internet searches. Uh, Decastave. I shouldn't say popular. I should say like made fun of often. It's a uh, been well known. 
you literally you just summon 10 staffs oh you're so into close. existence so close um i'm gonna give you half a know. point for that you uh it's a spell Sweet. that transforms a small piece of wood into a 10 foot long battle staff that wizards could wield which sounds kind of useful until you remember how long a 10 foot stick is that's right and how weak wizards are 10 feet is the length of the shortest possible pole vaulting pole <laughs> so basically it's a very long staff so what would you use that for steve oh man that's that feels like a that feels like a you know like a like a trick waiting to happen you and the group are tied up things are looking grim and uh, you know the big dumb bad guy comes up and takes your stick. He's playing with it, and you're like, "Put that down!" Blown to my grandfather. His initials are on the top. And as he looks down, you cast the spell, and the thing extends ten feet into his face. Oh, that would, that could work. Giving you and the group <laughs> the entry, the the moment you need to escape. <laughs> I like it. All right, so last one here. Uh, it's called Waterbane. Waterbane, all one word. Um, I'm going to guess that you I actually feel like I know this one. You can target a certain amount of water and cause it to turn into steam. Oh, not quite. There is a spell like that. I believe it. But this one, a spell that keeps wizards from getting wet, even if they enter a body of water. <laughs> so, so it's like a, like a hydrophobic coating. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a rainex all over your wizard. All right, I can tell you right now, there are so many adventures that take place in like sewers below cities. Mm-hmm. Everyone else trudging through the shit, and the wizard just has this on constantly <laughs> in a little hydrophobic bubble and just just wading through piss. The OCD wizard. <laughs> yeah, I love it. All right, well, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think seven. I got 5.5 points. Out of a possible 14, Four. remember that. One, two, three, uh-huh. four is one, two, three, four, five, um, five and three quarters. <laughs> oh, man, I missed a quarter of a point in there somewhere. <laughs> yes, you did. But hey, that was pretty good for blindly going into these weird ass first edition and second edition spells and some third edition. Um, so good job, Steve. That was Abracadab. What? And that moves on nice. to some Radical Recommends. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. My radical recommend this week is a little bit weird and and even more specific. (laughs) My radical recommend is Ted at the Metro by T-Mobile store on Bascom in San Jose. (laughs) It's so specific. (laughs) So specific. So because I'm leaving this job going to another, my phone line is not going to be paid for by Apple anymore. So I need to get my own phone line for the first time in eight or nine years. Mm. Uh, So I bought a phone. I had to – I went to a Boost – yeah, a Metro by T-Mobile store because I saw a deal they had that I wanted to get because I was bringing my own phone. Um, And I go and we talk to a very non-helpful female worker in her 20s and she's like, oh, well, you have to get a release pen. I was like, is something you can help me with? No, you got to call T-Mobile and you got to do a release pen. So I call T-Mobile, get directed to their chat service, chat with somebody who spends 10 minutes pitching me different plans instead of helping me. Mm. Um, And finally, I was like, I am not interested in anything that doesn't have unlimited data. 
He was like, oh, okay, cool. Here's the instructions to get your pin. It goes, takes me to their website. I'm chatting with them this whole time. And the instructions they have don't match the website. Huh. I'm going to the places it's saying to go and the things it's saying should be there are not. So I tried to tell him this. He's like, thanks for trying. I understand the directions can be complex. And he like gives me the link again. I'm like, that doesn't help me. <laughs> I have been there. And I work in tech. And like, God well, damn you can it. call. <laughs> yeah, I'm not some idiot old guy. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. The menu doesn't exist. Um, and so I, so he's like, here's the number for support. So I call support. Takes me 10 minutes to get through. And then it says, you're going to be on hold for 15 minutes. Press one if you'd like us to call you back. And I was like, oh, well, that's a nice service. So I press one. They immediately call me back. I think I'm going to get on with somebody. Nah, they put me on hold. Uh, <laughs> useful. Very useful. So the call back service called me, immediately put me on hold. <laughs> so then we sit for another 20 minutes. 20 minutes. So at this point, we're at like an hour and five minutes. The power across San Jose is off. So we already had to go to a store way across town. We left the kids with Nana. It's getting dark. Uh, and out of the back came like my neck beard and shining armor, Ted, <laughs> a sloppy looking gentleman with a stretched out short shirt and long, wet looking thin hair. And he kind of overhears what we're going through. And he asked if we've been helped. And I explained what happened. He goes, oh, just come with me. Let's get your account started. So in 15 minutes with Ted, he set up my account. Through an internal service they have access to, got T-Mobile to release my line. Oh, wow. Through some internal system. So then he's going over plans and stuff. He brings up a selection screen. He goes, oh, man, what's this about? And I go, well, this never, that's never good. And so it turns out he was, I was planning, they've got like a $40 a month unlimited plan. Mm -hmm. If you bring your own device. Um, and he's like, for some reason for a, a, a deal that he has never seen and he can't explain to me why I'm being offered. And so I'm getting $25 a month, including taxes and fees for unlimited everything. Uh, strange. For some reason, he can't define to me. Ted doesn't know it. <laughs> um, he sets up my auto pay for me. We talk about the move. We end with like a fist bump and a good luck out there, bud. Uh, so to Ted, at the Metro by T-Mobile store on Bascom Avenue in San Jose, you and your customer service are my radical recommend today. That may be one of our best radical recommends we've ever had. <laughs> Go check out Ted. Go check out Ted. He's Everyone, a good guy. No matter where in the world you are, check out Ted. You go to Metro by T-Mobile on Bascom Avenue in San Jose. He's your neck and beard and waiting, Ted. <laughs> Man, he he saved my life. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you and your $25 month play. <laughs> Dude, that's great. Like, I... Man, I'm blown away. And the fact that he couldn't tell me why was the best part. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Sometimes people just get offered promotions and stuff. And I go, oh, okay, I thanks. Cool. Well, that brings us to some trailer reviews. All right, so this week we have a movie that both Steve and I had the same reaction to. We discussed this before the show. The movie Tetris. And we're like, okay, we've been burned before with the movie Battleship. We know they're making movies of other things, of other games that don't make any sense as a movie. There's that Pixels movie where everyone fought video game characters from outer space. Yeah, and we're like, and... what are they going to do with these like geometrical <laughs> shapes falling into a pit that you need to get? And so... No, it's the origin story of how the move, the, the game Tetris came to be and became so popular. And it 
looks pretty fascinating. Starring the same guy who did a biopic of um, Elton John and was also in the, what's those movies, The Gentleman or whatever the hell they're called? Uh, um, oh, the Kingsman. The yeah. Kingsman, that guy. Uh, Egerton, I think his name is. Um, Aaron like, Egerton. I like the guy. He's been a good actor in everything I've seen him in. So, uh, but what do you think of this trailer, Steve? Um, so this is something I heard about at some point. I can't remember why or in what context, but about how Tetris is like the game that no one remembers came out of Soviet Russia. Yeah, the music should um, be a hint, and ended up <laughs> ended up being licensed in Japan with Nintendo. Uh, to to be sold with like the original ten- Nintendo Entertainment System, um, but I never knew like sort of the depth of the story, yeah, of how that happened, and so I am excited to like see the, this little factoid become like a full film. Yeah, how the hell that happened, and kind of from the trailer. If you don't see it, it's it's basically like an American guy somehow is traveling somewhere or something, and he sees this very beta, like alpha version of Tetris on some kind of computer system. And he's like, this is going to change the world. And so he just gets it in his mind that he wants to get the options for this game from whoever, whatever random Russian dude made it in his programming den. And so he makes this his mission. He finds some interest from people in the U.S. and other places and goes to the Soviet Union in the middle of the early 80s, like Cold War full on. Um, to try to find this guy, get the rights, get the rights out of Russia so he can use them elsewhere, like you said, Japan, wherever he can get it for like Nintendo, for Game Boy, those kind of things. And just the whole story of how it goes down apparently was incredibly difficult. A lot of subterfuge, some violence, threats of death, and, and this Gorbachev is in this. Like it's it's insane. Like I hope this is all true because it's nuts. <laughs> um, but yeah, always excited to see a video game movie come out that's not a video game adaptation. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Less chance of it sucking. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this one Raul Julia and Gary Busey sitting across from each other on a couch playing Pong. <laughs> and Raul Julia is just trouncing Gary Busey, but every time I point at the scored, he yells, damn it, just over and over and over again. I'm going to give this uh, Gary Busey and Raul Julia being the all the pieces in the Tetris game. You see them falling down. And Gary Busey keeps trying to straighten out. He's like, I will be the long piece. And he's like, Raul Julia's like, you don't have the spine for it. I want to be the long piece. <laughs> Anyways, that's my review of the Tetris Legit. Movie. Legit. Legit. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of episode 168 of A Play on Nerds. Join us next time for a topic so interesting and cool that I'm just not going to tell you about it. Yeah, it's a secret. Yeah. You're going to have to come back. You're going to have to. So keep on coming back and being our nerdy audience, and we will keep on coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts. Thanks again, Internet. Stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Feel free to email feedback at aplayonnerds.com with all your questions or comments. Shoot us a message on Facebook or Twitter and earn yourself a sweet shout out on the show. Review us on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts so even more nerds can find us. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we aren't picky. Check out our entire back catalog and other offerings at aplayonnerds.com. And how? How?